It's a real uh, privilege to be here. Um, just Actually, just the last few days, uh, my wife and I, Lisa here, uh, we've been just chatting with your pastors and um, really just having a, a very life-giving, life-affirming time. Uh, it's, been, it's been a tough year for us, uh, uh, my wife and I, our church, our whole country, um, Hong Kong, uh, some of you guys may be hearing the news, and it's been a very challenging season, and uh, it's just so refreshing to have friends, um, and I think, I think we'd be friends even if we're not pastors, um, and just hanging out, and, and we're staying at their house, we invaded their house, there's seven of us all together. I have four kids, and then one of my kids' friends has also joined us. Uh, we're actually doing college visits for my daughter, who's going to school uh, next year. Scary, scary time. And, uh, but it's been a blessing, and, and I, you know, I've, I've prayed for this building. Um, we've, uh, our church has sewn into this building, and so when, uh, you know, Pastor Benjamin was so kind, he just says, hey, do you want to speak? It's, you know, it's your holidays, your vacation. And, you know, my inside is like, not really. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just being real, right? But, I mean, this is lineage, right? So this is, I mean, I mean we, we, were, we actually didn't leave Hong Kong for three years uh, because of COVID. I just, COVID just sucks. It, I, I've, I've never seen something bring so much damage. And you know what, but you know what COVID really did is I think it humbled everybody. Because for the first time you had governments, whatever you put your faith in, governments failed miserably. Uh, the e economy failed miserably. You have the medical profession failed, I mean, okay, they, I don't want to put dispersions, right? But honestly, failed miserably. I mean, we had people telling all different kinds of advice and, you know, and it kept changing every week. And, you know, and we're in Hong Kong in the midst of all of this stuff. It was just crazy. And the church itself also failed miserably. And you basically had every single institution that people put their faith in and gone. But what it hopefully did and what it was supposed to do, I think, is it caused us to turn back to the Lord. And saying, God, you're the only one that I can trust. You're the only person that I can actually really rely on in the midst of this. And, it, and then it you know, became political and, and all kinds of things started to happen. I mean, we, we felt it in Hong Kong. And it, it, I mean, it's just, it's just really interesting. But I'll tell you, this is, this is my own personal opinion. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use someone, um, and uh, they're, they're, this is their quote. And uh, during COVID, I mean, you know, we were introduced to Zoom, which is pretty amazing. Um, I, I, have, I have pastors. I'm, I'm in charge of pastors. They're all over the world. And we're still able to meet every single month uh, on a Zoom call, which was pretty cool. And so one of these Zoom calls that we're, I was part of was with a guy named Os Guinness. And some guys may know Os. Um, he actually is a, a, a grandchild of the Guinness fortune. You know, Guinness Beer, Guinness World Records. But he was born and raised in China. And so now he's a, a basically a, a think tank guy as a scholar. And so he was leading a, a group of pastors that I, I got invited to. And he was just talking about current events and world events. And that's, that's kind of his thing. He, he was a fellow at the Brookings Institute for a while. And he said something in one of these calls. And I think this is the what I feel like 
a real damage that COVID and you know even uh, home uh, 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 was it non what do you, what do you guys call it home watching services what what do you call that. Yeah, streaming, online kind of stuff. And I know some of you guys are online, so please don't be offended by what I'm saying right now. Um, but, but honestly, like what it did, and this is for, I'm talking about our community. And this is what Oz said. Oz said this in one, of, in, in one of the calls. And he says, the danger of COVID and the responses that people had, and then, you know, online uh, services and all these things. He says it, and, and he says it introduced a casualness to our Christian faith. And, and when he said that, something really hit deep inside, because it, it was true. It introduced this incredible casualness about our faith. Our faith is intense. You know, the, the way that Jesus designed our faith and our Christian life to be, it's all or nothing. And if you try to do just a little bit, you're going to be miserable. Uh, Martin Luther, remember he said that, uh, you know, Christians only have so much of religion to feel guilty about their sins but not enough to feel the life in the spirit. And so, and so when, you, when you're just kind of half in, you know, and you're very casual about your faith, you're going to be miserable because that's not how Jesus designed the church and faith and the Christian life to work. It's, it's, it's full on. It's everything. And so I was meditating on that, and we were online during this time. But we, were, we had to be online because of our government. It was very clear. We, we go through five months of being online, and then you can meet at church, but you can meet 50% and then 80% and then 85%. Where are these numbers coming from? We have no idea. But it was just all these things. And so I remember I was, I was on a Sunday, and it was, it was coming, and, and I just knew, I just knew that our people, while we're having live service, I knew they were hiking. I knew they were shopping. And, and when I was there, I just, I was, it was kind of a joke. And I just said, get off that Amazon right now. <laughs> you know, and after the service, a few people texted me. They said, Peace out, how did you know? <laughs> I, I, was, I, was, I was seriously joking. And I said, hey, get out of bed. Get out of your underwear, man. Go take a shower and worship the Lord. And sure enough, these dudes were in their underwear. They were in bed. And they were watching. They said, PCM, how did you know? <laughs> but but that's but that's see, you see the the, the subtlety yeah. of the enemy? Yeah. Yeah. It, it it brings this this casualness yeah. to our faith. Yeah. And the enemy is kind of putting us to sleep yeah. in a certain way. And, and and it's 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 dangerous because all through the scriptures you have the apostles saying, be alert, yeah. be alert, yeah. you know, be awake, yeah. be be ready. And yet now, because of COVID, now it's okay. It's okay for me not to show up. Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, trust me, there's tons of legitimate reasons, and I totally understand that. But be very careful. Yeah. There's a demonic assignment attached to a lot of these things. Wow. And introduce a casualness wow. to our Christian faith. Wow. And so we have to be very aware. I'm, uh, I'm going to share something with you. Actually, I haven't even shared this with my church yet because we're doing a whole other series. Uh, we're, we're, we're going through the book of Philippians right now, so I'm kind of deep into it, so I can't interrupt. But I felt like God spoke to me the end of last year, yeah. you know, about the next year, actually the next few years. And um, it's not good news. I think it's going to get a lot worse. I think there's a lot of things that are going to happen. And what I've been learning uh, all through this time is, 
it actually doesn't matter what happens. I mean, listen very carefully. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if it's unjust. It doesn't matter if it's unfair. All that stuff, it doesn't really matter. The only thing that matters is how are you going to respond to it. That's really the only thing. Are you going to, and this has been so painful, are we going to be just like the world? Are we going to get ourselves in sides and corners and be antagonistic to each other? Are we going to just judge people based on their opinions or their values? That's exactly what the world does. Is the church going to do just like that? And so, see, it doesn't matter what happened. Listen, turn to your neighbor. Just turn to your, whichever one you like better. And just say, just say, hey, good looking. Said it doesn't matter what happens to you. This is the truth. The only thing, the only thing that matters is how you respond. So you can respond with anger. You can respond with revenge. You can retaliate. You can do everything the world does. Or we can choose to be like Jesus. You know, you know the, the standard of Christ? This is, you know, um, it's, it's been said that the, the real litmus test of spiritual maturity is actually the time lapse, time lapse from offense to forgiveness. So if you, if you get offended, and then if you forgive that person 20 years later on, you're probably not very mature. Even though you may know a lot of verses, and you went on a lot of mission trips, and you may even served, and even been on staff, I mean, really, the litmus test of spiritual maturity is the time lapse between offense or injury or harm or whatever that may be and forgiveness. And so you think about our example is Jesus. Remember Jesus? He was on the cross. I mean, he was being crucified. These guys were crucifying him. And what did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In other words, Jesus, there was zero time lapse. That's our goal. That's what we want to get to. And, and I mean, and we, we, we pat ourselves on our back if, if we held out for a week. I did a week, man. Whoa, you know, I'm pretty good. Well, Jesus, while he was being killed, forgave. That's the real litmus test. And so, again, it doesn't matter what happens to you. It doesn't matter. I mean, okay, that sounds really mean. It does matter. It really, it does matter, but at the heart of it, what matters more is how you respond. And, and, and it's gonna be, it's gonna get a little more difficult, but I'm praying that the church would respond in an amazing way. So, um, the title of my message today is called Three Bows. And I was going through the book of Mark last year, and this is my private, uh, time, and I saw something in chapter five that really spoke to me, and so I just wanna share with you. Um, so I'm going to read three verses here. This is Mark 5, 6, Mark 5, 22, and Mark 5, 33. And so I'll just read it in a row here. I think, I think it's, you guys have it? I think it's on the screen. So Mark 5, 5, 6, seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. Verse 22, and one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And the last one, uh, verse 33, but the woman fearing and trembling aware of what had happened to her came down and fell, uh, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Wow. All right, so let's pray.
Father, we thank you. I thank you for Linnea's church. Thank you for this house. Thank you for uh, Pastor uh, Benjamin and Pastor Sunhi, Lord, and just just the friendship, God, and just the uh, the words of wisdom and advice that you share with us over the years. And and so, Lord, it's just a, a privilege to be here, God, in this pulpit and sharing in this church, Lord, uh, that has brought so much meaning, Lord, to my life and my wife's life, our church's life as well. And so we thank you, Lord. So now we just say, Lord, come and speak to us through your word, God. Lord, to that end, we release the revelatory ministry of the Holy Spirit in this room. Lord, give us an ear to hear and a heart to receive what the Spirit is saying to each one of us individually and corporately as a body. Lord, I humble myself today. I ask that you use me to preach your prophetic word with power and authority. Help me, Lord, not just to convey your words, God, but convey your heart. God, we thank you. We love you in this house, God. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Um, and so in Mark 5, we're introduced to three people, and, and they're having three very powerful encounters with God. And, and they're, they're very different, and each of the person represents something that's attacking them, something that they're going through. And so if this message is a three bows, it's really the three Ds. And so what are they dealing with? They're dealing with demons, disease, and death. Demons, disease, and death, the three terrible Ds. And so in, 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 in preface to say this, basically, I believe this kind of sums up what we're going to be dealing with as a church for the next few years. Demonic attack, disease, and death. And so, um, interesting enough, by the way, um, I've, I've got the name of this book, but um, whenever, whenever there's been like great, great moves of God, yeah. if you look throughout church history, yeah. you know, one of the big markers, you know, is always preceded by a global pandemic. Mm. It's very interesting. Now, people are starting to write and do some historical analysis. And it's, it's been like this. Uh, uh, just before a great move of God, there's always been a global pandemic. And so we're experiencing that now, but it doesn't mean it's going to like turn around so quickly. There, there's a season, and what I think what, I mean, I can't say what God is doing, but I think what's necessary for that to happen is for the people of God to begin to cry out. And the difficulty brings people to their knees, which is really my whole point of this message. I can actually stop right now, but I'm not going to. And so... Um, so let me give you a little background. So what happens is Jesus is basically going uh, to the other side. And so he's gotten on a boat, and he's, while he's in his boat, there's this huge storm. And, but the Bible tells us it's not just a normal storm. It's a demonic storm. And we know this because Jesus, when they, when they wake him up, and remember what he does? He speaks. He rebukes the storm. In the same way, he rebuked the fever. And so he, Jesus only rebuked demonic things. And so, you know, he rebukes. He didn't rebuke. Uh, 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 Peter, he rebuked the spirit operating behind Peter. And so we know this is a demonic storm. This storm was so bad. You have to realize this storm was so bad. Seasoned fishermen, people that grew up on the water their whole life were scared for their life. They had never seen a storm like this before. And so this storm really was trying to take Jesus out. There, there, there's, there's some uh, um, scholarly journals that write about uh, the enemy really didn't want Jesus to, uh, I mean, to say this as a summary, uh, the devil was okay for Jesus to minister to Jewish people, 
But now he was going over to this area called the Decapolis, which was Roman territory. We know this because we know some church history, but we also know these were the, the, where the pigs were. And so clearly this was, Ro- this is Roman territory, the Decapolis, all, all uh, very aligned to Caesar. And so, so the enemy was trying to prevent Jesus from entering into Gentile territory. And so there's a lot of the spiritual warfare and these things that, that are going on in this place. And so, uh, so three Ds, just three simple points, okay? Number one, number one, Jesus has power over demons. Jesus has power over demons. Look at this. This man is totally demonized. He is totally demonized. He has feats of strength. He's howling at the moon. Um, he's cutting himself. Kind of reminds you of uh, like Elisha in First Kings, uh, where the Baal worshippers are started cutting themselves uh, uh, before their, their gods. And and so I mean this is incredible. By the way, in the Bible, when you when you see some translations, English translations, and they translate as demon possessed, I want you to know that's a very bad translation. Uh, most if, if there, there's about three or four different words in Greek uh, about being demonized. Actually, all mean the same exact thing. It just simply says, has a demon. Yeah. And so th- this idea of demon possession yeah. is kind of more of like sci-fi movie kind of stuff. And so, I, you know, I, I, don't, I, I just want you to have a, a very clear understanding. Yeah. And so Jesus comes in, and, and this man is totally demonized, and, and, I mean, just, just starts going nuts. And you got to understand, it's the, the presence of Jesus causes the demonic forces to attack. Wow. See, a lot of times when you're going through difficult things, people will say to you, what did you do wrong? What did you do wrong? Yeah. Like, you must have some chinks in your armor. <laughs> you know, you, 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 must have, you must have really done something. And, and in other words, you, you kind of brought on this attack. But notice Jesus just steps onto the shore and this demonic person starts going crazy. Yeah, yeah. See, it was the presence of Jesus that brought the attack. Yeah. And so don't, don't be confused and, 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 and let me see, don't get blamed. Because that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants to attack you and he wants you to feel guilty and he wants you to feel bad. He wants you to feel like it's your fault. Now, clearly, sometimes it is your fault. <laughs> okay? So, so let's, let's have some balance here as well. Sometimes you're just a knucklehead, and so you did something you shouldn't have done. But most times, when we're talking about this kind of attack, it's the presence of the Lord that brings it out. And so, and so when you think about this, think about the next time you're at church, and then you're worshiping. And by the way, that was a wonderful worship team. And then someone starts manifesting. Listen, don't freak out. Because the demon is not going in. The demon is coming out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like you have to think about it. You have, you have no under, you have, don't understand the presence of Jesus that it takes for the enemy to expose themselves. See, the enemy all along wants to work in hiddenness. Wants to work in, in, in the darkness or around the edges. We have no idea the kind of presence it takes for the enemy to actually come out of hiddenness and to reveal themselves. There, there's a, I'll, I'll show you a line. There's a movie. Some guys ever watched the movie Usual Suspects? So Usual Suspects, uh, I don't want to, you know, ruin the whole movie for you, but you, you should watch it. It's pretty good. But there's a main character. His name is Verbal. And, but he's also, I'm going to ruin the movie for you right now. He's also Kaiser Soze. Okay? 
And so, but he has a line in there that's just gold. He says the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. This is from a movie, you know? He says the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. There's, there's, and I I don't want to sound negative, but there's churches that are preaching today, Sunday morning, that really don't believe in the existence of the devil. They believe in some kind of evil force or something, and they've just fallen into the enemy's trap. And you got to understand that the enemy is so subtle. Uh, my wife and I in our church, we've been going through a lot of warfare this past year. You know, one thing, the one thing I learned, to, to my shame, I'll be honest, uh, and this is this, I, I tell this to my wife, and I said, you know what? It feels like I'm playing checkers and the devil's playing chess. He's like three moves ahead of me all the time. It's so frustrating. But you know what it does? That frustration brings me to my knees. Because I'm trying to figure everything out with my own mind. I'm trying to figure everything out with my own faculties. And God just wants me on my knees. Right? The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. He just wants to come in very casually. He wants to come in under the radar. Now, let me, let me, I gave a secular quote. Let me give you a Christian quote now. This is C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors. That's what he says. He says, the long, dull, monotonous years of middle-aged prosperity or middle-aged adversity are excellent campaigning weather for the devil. The long, dull, monotonous years of middle-aged prosperity or middle-aged adversity are excellent campaigning weather for the devil. It's true. Because when we're, when we're prosperous, we're lulled to sleep. When we go through adversity, we get angry with God. And, and it's a cycle that happens. And he says, and this is the perfect fodder for the enemy to work in our lives. He's very subtle. He, he just comes a little bit under the radar. That, that's, that's how he wants to work in hiddenness. And so, but you notice something in this, in this passage. You know, even the demons, they acknowledge that he's the son of God. Wow. But, but notice something that happens. He says, they acknowledge that he's the son of God, but then their next phrase is very peculiar. They says, you are the son of God, don't torture us. I mean, how does that compute? You're the son of God, please don't torture us. Yeah, yeah. And most likely, most li- I'll just throw this out there, most likely these demons are probably thinking Jesus came to the shore to retaliate on the attack on the lake. So they're thinking that there's a confrontation. Okay, you know, like my forces try to take you out. We didn't succeed. So now Jesus has come to retaliate for that. In fact, uh, Matthew gives us a, a little fuller quote of this passage. And in Matthew 8, 29, the demons say, have you come to torment us before the time? And so there, there's a recognition here. Think about it. The demons spend the rest of their days knowing that a time has been appointed for their destruction. Can you imagine? They're basically like on death row. Right. They, they know that there's, there's a time for their destruction, and they're just waiting it out all through this time. Romans 16.20, the God of peace so shun, uh, so, uh, uh, I'm sorry, will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's the promise of God. They're on death row. They're just waiting. And notice what the enemy does. And then the enemy turns, and, he, and Jesus turns to him and says, what's your name? 
And the enemy responds. And this is, this is also very peculiar. He says, my name is, we are legion. Maybe the man and the demonic forces are talking simultaneously. My name is singular, and then he goes to the plural of legion. And, and so you, you got to see that there's this, there's this power play that's going on. The word legion is a military term. It's a Roman military term. Usually comprises of at least 6,000 troops. And so what the, what the enemy is thinking is that Jesus is coming maybe to retaliate against the attack, and the enemy is trying to intimidate Jesus. Hey, if a rumble is going down, there are 6,000 of us. So watch out. Listen, this is, this is like such a clear strategy that the, that the Lord is giving us. Because if you really think about it, the only weapon that the enemy has is fear and intimidation. That's really it. Remember Psalm 23? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. You know why David feared no evil? Because he says it. He goes, it's the shadow. It ain't death. It's the shadow of death. It's not real. And so uh, someone shared me with this acronym, F-E-A-R. Fear is false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. It's, 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 like, it's like a beast that has no teeth, no claws. They're loud. They can roar, but really can't really harm you in that way. Um, there's a, a really well-known pastor, um, some of you guys may have heard of him, Ed Silvoso. And I got invited to this meeting years ago, actually here in San Jose when I was a youth pastor. And he invited us together, and he, and he shared this story uh, at, this, uh, uh, at this conference. And um, he's, he's Argentinian, and so apparently in Argentina, you could still do this. If you really dislike somebody, or you had a business partner that, that you were in dispute with, you could actually curse them. And so you can go to a witch doctor in Argentina, and you could pay money, and you can curse you know, whoever you wanted to. But what the witch doctor does is they, they, before they take the money, they need to find out if the spirit working within them is stronger than the spirit working in the person they want to curse. And so they do some incantation or something, and they, they try to figure out. And, and so Ed's telling this story, and he says, so the guy come up, and, and if his spirit is stronger than the, the other person's spirit, then they take the money and they curse them. And he says, but something peculiar happens when someone tries to curse a Christian. And he says, and when the witch doctor is trying to figure out if he should, you know, if, if he can take the money and take care of this person, and he says he conjures up the spirit behind the person. You know who shows up? Holy Spirit shows up. This is a true story. Holy Spirit shows up. I was actually giving this illustration years ago, and there were some Argentinians in the audience, and they said, yeah, that's true, that's true. Like, like, you know, you can go down to the, you know, to the corner store and you can, you can still eat until this day and stuff. And so when they conjure up the spirit behind the Christian, the Holy Spirit shows up. And they say, sorry, we can't do this. And so please, you know, take your money back. There's, there's nothing that's happening here. But that's exactly what happens. Isaiah 54 verse 17. No weapon formed against you will succeed. And you will condemn every tongue that accuses you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. First John 4, 4, you are of, from God, little children. You have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This is the truth. This is who we are as people of God. We're powerful. Jesus has power over demons. 
Notice that these, these demons, they beg to stay in the area. Notice, this is, notice Jesus' supreme justice here. They're given permission to go into the pigs, which is just an odd thing. And then the pigs drown. Think about that for a moment. What did the enemy want to do with Jesus and his disciples? He wanted to drown him. What happens to the enemy? He gets drowned. It's just this perfect justice. And if you just stay with the Lord, if you just humble yourself, and if you would respond in a Christ-like manner, God would take care of it for you. You don't, you don't even have to lift a finger. God will just take care for you. The very thing that the enemy wanted to do against you is going to happen to the enemy. Just let Jesus do his job. <laughs> and this is really hard. Don't get in his way. And that's really hard. Don't get in his way. Don't try to defend yourself. Don't try to retaliate on your own. Just get out of his way. Be humble. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is hard to tell Americans, but. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Not the humble part. This next part. Be quiet. Be quiet. You don't have to say everything you want to say. Right? You don't have to spew everything out. You don't need to clack that keyboard. Just be quiet and let God be God. Let God do his thing. Notice again, the enemy was trying to intimidate Jesus. But Jesus does to the pigs, does to the enemy what the enemy intended to do to him. Isn't that that what the Bible tells us? No weapon formed against you will prosper. It's just just a, a reality. And But really, the death of the pigs in many ways and the man... It demonstrates the ultimate activity or ultimate aim of demonic activity. There, I, I mean, there's many multiple things, but some main things. One, the first thing the enemy wants to do, he wants to mar the image of God in you. Yeah. The Imago Dei. This man was totally unrecognizable. Yeah. Just crazy. And, and, and that's what the, the first line is the enemy wants to mar this image. The enemy wants you to blame yourself. You're a child of God. You're supposed to walk confidently, boldly, and we get very fearful, very afraid. And we, 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 we get so angry at ourselves. Uh, we, we crucify ourselves. You know, in many ways, we're the greatest enemy of ourselves. You know, not really anybody else or even the devil. It's really us. And so in that way, that's what the enemy wants. He wants to mar this image of God in the, in the way that God created you. And the enemy wants to go over time and mar that image. And we, we, we see this. We see young kids that, that were spo- that were very bold and, and, and very outgoing and, and, you know, and they, they had a kind of personality to lead in these things. And what does the enemy do when they're really little? They just try to take that out. They, they bring all kinds of insecurity because that, that's, God created them for this. The enemy knows that. Remember, James says the enemy knows and he shudders. They know and they shudder. And so what he tries to take them out of that image, just like this man. And the second thing is they just sort of just want to kill you. Yeah. Just try to want to kill. In fact, in fact, let's okay, let's be honest, okay? <laughs> the devil wants to kill you. God also wants to kill you. Yeah. That's discipleship is about death. Yeah. But only God has resurrection power. Yeah. 
That's the reality. Really, they're both trying to kill us. Trying to kill our flesh. The enemies are, the the Lord is trying to kill our flesh. The enemy is just trying to kill us, period. But only God has resurrection power. And when we die to ourselves, when we pick up our cross and we follow after Him, there's a life that begins to flow through us in, in such an amazing way. And, and, and so, so the first is to mar the image of God and then ultimately death. And like I said, you know, what happened to the pigs is what would eventually happen to the man. But God intervenes and the man is now normal again. Now, you should check out, this is a really crazy story. Yeah. Here's, here's this person, part of their village, who's just been crazy, I mean, just out there, yeah. gets totally healed and saved. Yeah. Yeah. And what happens? They get afraid, and they tell Jesus to leave. Yeah. This is something about the character of the Lord Jesus wow. Christ. Incredibly powerful to save a total demonized person that's cutting themselves, howling at the moon, feats of strength, all these things. But he respects our free will enough that if we say go, he goes. You know, Jesus is a gentleman. He'll not go beyond what you allow him to do. It's just there's this this crazy interplay with all the authority that Jesus has. He still doesn't violate our free will. And so that means every single day, brothers and sisters, you have an opportunity to say, Jesus, come and stay. You know, in in Luke 23, there's this beautiful passage. uh, I think it's 24. And remember, he's walking on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection. And so he's talking to Cleopas and his friend, and they're on the road. And then there's uh, uh, he begins to explain to them things are happening. And then they get into this fork in the road. And the, the scripture, the passage is very interesting. And it, the passage says Jesus acted like he would go farther. Yeah. In other words, Jesus didn't want to go farther, yeah. but he acted like he wanted to go farther. Yeah. And so then so Cleopas and his friend had to stop and say, hey, Jesus, where are you going? And he acted like he would go farther. And they say, hey, why don't you come and stay with us? And so they did. He came and stayed. And then remember what happened? He says, and when Jesus left their scene, he says, we're not our hearts burning within us as he was speaking to us. And, and so, but that's the whole idea. The Lord, he's a gentleman. He's always waiting for an invitation. Every morning you wake up, he's just standing, waiting for the invitation. Every mealtime, he just sits there. Every time. When you're going through difficulty, he just stands right next to you. And he waits for an invitation. And all it takes for us to say, hey, Jesus, can you come help me out? Can you come and just give me some wisdom on this? I'm freaking out, Lord. Can you, can you just hang out with me? I mean, all of his authority. Think about all of his authority. And yet he still doesn't violate our will. And that's what happens in this place. Jesus is power over demons. Yeah. There's going to be a demonic attack, but recognize he's got power over that. Yeah. Number two, Jesus is power over disease. Yeah. So, so they get into the boat now. So now, now crossing to the other side, and the second person uh, comes down and bows down before Jesus. Now we know that he's going back into Jewish territory because yeah. he's, he's confronted with Jairus. Yeah. And so Jairus is a synagogue official, and he, and he desperately approaches the Lord because his daughter is dying. And so, so we're going to put a pause on Jairus, because then we're going to get to the third person. And so while they're walking to the home, Jesus says, okay, yes, I'll come and I'll pray for your daughter. The third person bows down before Jesus. 
And it's this woman who's got basically an ongoing menstrual cycle. And so uh, for 12 years, she's had vaginal bleeding. And she spent all of her money on doctors and, and all kinds of different things. And But she hears about Jesus, and she's, she's so desperate, she f- gets on her knees, and she touches, basically, it's the talitna. It's basically the prayer shawl of, of Jesus. So he touches that, and she gets totally healed uh, from that place. Now, Mark tells us that for 12 years, this, money, this woman has spent all that she had. And, and in fact, she became worse. I was doing some study. I found out, you know, one of the, one of the I mean, Ladies, thank God for modern medicine, okay? Because you know what the ancient cures in this woman's age was for uh, uh, a menstrual cycle? They would take oats, and they would feed the cow, and then the cow would eat it, and then would, you know, go bathroom, and then they would take the dung with the oats and feed it to the people that had no wonder she was getting worse. <laughs> you know what I mean? She was like poisoning her body. But that was, that, was one, that was one of the ancient cures. So she was going to all kinds of different places, and they were actually literally making her worse uh, through all this. And, and when, when all this is <coughs> happening, she takes great risks. She touches Jesus, and according to the tradition, Jesus actually should be unclean. But here's, here's, the, here's the, the, the scenario here. An unclean touches a clean man, yeah. the clean man becomes unclean. Yeah. An unclean touches Jesus, yeah. and the unclean becomes clean. Right. Now, let's go a little deeper here. Yeah. This woman is cut off for 12 years from Jewish life. Wow. That means by law, no one can touch her. She can't be in the presence of anybody. Can you imagine? She had not had one hug in 12 years. And so I want to to suggest to you that Jesus is not just dealing with physical disease. He's dealing with emotional trauma. He's dealing with societal trauma. She's been abandoned by a religious system that basically says that you're unclean, you need to be taken away. In fact, if you touch me, anyone, we're going to kill you. And by law, they could stone her on the spot. That was, that was actually totally legitimate. And so she's got emotional wounding. She's got spiritual wounding. Uh, she's got probably family wounding in the midst, the, the, you know, in, on top of the, the, the physical wounding that, that she has through this disease. And so you'll notice Jesus, because when he heals, he heals completely. And so Jesus turns to this woman and he said he only, he's only used this word one time in the whole of the Bible. And he turns to this girl, this, I mean, this lady, and says, Thugater. In other words, you're my daughter. All through, go, go through the text. This is the only time Jesus says this word, actually calls her daughter. He doesn't even call his mom, mom. Remember, he goes, woman. <laughs> he doesn't even call his mom, mom. I'm thinking about this. Yeah. Right? Woman, here's your son, son, here's, you know. I mean, it's just, just crazy when you think about this. And yet he turns to this woman and he says, you are my thugater. You are my daughter. Wow. And I want to I suggest to you that when, when she touches the, the, the talit, she gets healed physically. When Jesus speaks, because it's, it's words of life. Wow. When he turns and says, you're my thugater, 
You're my daughter. I'll tell you what this word means. It's a very particular word. It's, it's an affectionate family term uh, that, like I said, Jesus only uses here. It means daughter of God. Actually, even more, it means acceptable to God. Rejoicing in God's peculiar care and protection. In other words, it's, it's one of those things like, like, like God shouldn't love you so much, but he just does. Like there's no, there's no rational explanation why he loves you so much, but he does. It's totally acceptable to God. Now think about why this is important. Who's standing right there? Jairus. Jairus is a synagogue official. That means he's responsible for the service. He's a, he's a big dude, right? In the synagogue. I mean, he's the main synagogue guy and stuff. And so he's so concerned for his daughter. So asked Jesus to go. And Jesus calls her his daughter. In other words, I mean, now I'm going to throw some things out there, but he's addressing a religious system that actually throws people away because of they have defects. You know, the, if, when the, as soon as the church starts doing that, we're in big, big trouble. And he turns and says, Thugater, you are approved of God. She probably felt rejected. Can you, you know, when you're going through, and, and some of you guys are, I don't know, going through disease and, and pain, you know, you feel rejected. Yeah. And a lot of times you feel rejected by God. God, where are you? Yeah. And all you need is the Lord to speak that word over your life. And if you're going through that, just close your eyes for a second. Right? Just listen. You're a thugater. You're a, a son. You're a child of the Father. And He's not rejected you. He loves you. He cares about you. I know you're going through a difficult time, but just hang in there. All right, God's got redemptive power. He's got resurrection power that's happening. And here's this lady who's been rejected by her family, rejected by her nation, rejected by her religion, all because of her sickness. And the Lord says, I accept you. Isn't that really basically our salvation story? Every single one of us has the same story. We felt lost and alone in the darkness, and somehow God found us. He found me, and he turned and he says, Sam, you're my son. And it changed everything in our lives. Don't forget that. Jesus has power over disease. The last one, number three, Jesus has power over death. So let's go back to Jairus. So here's this chief synagogue official. It means he's responsible for the overseeing of the building, the details of the service. But now this delay is catastrophic. The fact that he had to stop and attend to this lady became a dire situation because then as they're making their way to Jairus' home, the servants come out and said, don't disturb the teacher any longer. In other words, she's dead. We, you know, there's, there's nothing that can be done. Why trouble the teacher anymore? And, and so for most people, they thought when the child was sick, Jesus could heal her. Almost a, kind of the same thing with, that Mary and Martha dealt with with Lazarus. You know, they thought, oh, if you, were, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Uh, surely you can heal uh, disease. You could heal this simple thing that's happening. But you have power over death? It just didn't register with people. 
And so they say, why trouble the teacher anymore? They all presume that Jesus' power doesn't work on the dead. And so they approach the house. And remember what happens? All these people are mourning and, and, and Jesus comes in. And this is, listen, this is divine perspective that you need to have. They say they laughed at him. Jesus says, hey, why are you guys freaking out? Why are you crying? She's only asleep. And they start laughing at him. And you, you wonder, I mean, are these like people like crazy, like schizophrenic? They're like wailing and moaning one second and laughing the next second. Well, actually what they are, they're professional mourners. They have no skin in the game. They don't really know this girl. The, people got paid during this time to cry during, during funerals. And so that's what they were. So Jesus says, get out. You know, like, we're like, we don't need you. Just, just get out of the way here. And so, uh, so he comes in. He takes only his, 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 his trusted core of people. And listen, this is divine perspective. He speaks in his native language, which is Aramaic, Tolutakam, and which basically translated means, little girl, I say to you, arise. In other words, wake up. Brothers and sisters, let's have some perspective here. And I don't mean to be insensitive because I know that one of your church members passed away, you know, Michelle, but I want you to know she's only asleep. To the Christian, Death is a nap. I mean, honestly, look at, the, look at this, this biblical perspective. To Jesus, death is just a nap. Brothers and sisters, every single one of us, we will all fall asleep. And we will all be awakened by his voice. Little Ben, wake up. Little Sam, wake up. Every single one of us will fall asleep and every single one of us will be awakened by that voice. See, this is why Christians, we should not fear death. This is why, to be honest, like COVID, like I don't, I mean, I do understand in one part, but I just feel like, well, we're, we're Christians. The way that we should view these type of things should be very different yeah. than the world. Yeah. Why are we so afraid? Yeah. Honestly, like I just, I just doesn't register with me yeah. because I've read the scriptures. The, the, this whole narrative of death, yeah. you have to understand, is not just, it's all over the Bible. Yeah. The narrative of death being just sleep was used throughout the New Testament. I'll just show you a few. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed. This is Paul saying this to the church, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you may not grieve as indeed the rest of mankind do who have no hope. He says, he's talking about the disciples that have, have, have you know, uh, died and gone before. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed that they're just asleep. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. And after he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Yeah. You see this theme? Yeah. Acts 760. Yeah. This is Stephen. He says, Then he fell on his knees and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Yeah. Jesus, when he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit, yeah. the scripture says he bowed his head. 
You know the word bowed is the same word that Je- is the same word that Jesus used when he says foxes have holes, you know, have, have holes, you know, birds have holes. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It's the same exact word. And basically, when Jesus bowed his head, it's this word he put his head on a pillow. He's going to bed. <laughs> this is this is the Christian perspective. It's an incredible, this is our Christian hope. Yeah. That, that, that for every single one of us, my, my mom passed away about 13 years ago of cancer. And I was at a funeral. Sadly, about two months ago, I was actually here in the States. Uh, I was in uh, California and I had to go to Arkansas and then New York and then back. Because my intercessor, I, I had this lady, a uh, 95-year-old lady, she had been praying for me for 30 years, uh, since actually I was in seminary. And so, and, and she, you know, Juanita, so I know you guys have met her before. Uh, she was actually our corporate intercessor. We actually paid her uh, to pray for us as a church. And, and she would pray, you know, eight, ten hours a day uh, for my wife and I, uh, for our, our, uh, our whole church and uh, churches. And, uh, and she went home to be with the Lord. And listen, I did the same exact thing. I, I, was, I was the last person with my mom. I was the last person with, with Juanita. And, 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 and I just do this uh, um, as, as kind of a tradition now in a certain way. And I just lean over. I just kiss him on the forehead. I just, I'll see you again when we all awaken from our naps. I'll see you again when we all awaken from our naps. And I know you guys are grieving, Michelle. And that's, that is a grieving that happens. But I want to tell you, Lineage, that you'll see her again. When we all awaken yes. from our naps, Amen. Jesus has power over death. Yes. This, this is, this is our, our holy perspective that happens here. This is our Christian hope when we think about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 54 and 57. But when this perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's this beautiful, beautiful story. Jesus has power over demons. He has power over disease, and he has power over death. So why do we live in fear? So why are we so afraid? So why are we not living out the very things? That's just just part of our journey. That's part of our Christian life. I don't know what... 2022, 23, 24, I feel like it's uh, the next three years or so, or maybe even more. Um, but if it's anything like the last few years, yeah. it's going to be filled with demonic attacks. Yeah. It's going to be filled with all kinds of disease and maybe even death. Yeah. But this is the key. Remember I said, it doesn't matter what happens to you. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you, it doesn't matter if it's unfair. The only thing that matters is how you respond. And I want to use these three people. Notice their response. What do they do? Every single one. When Jesus came, they fell at their feet. 
I believe the only response, the only way we're going to survive, in fact, the only way we're going to thrive through this time is if we find that place of real estate at Jesus' feet, just like these guys did. Think about this. Notice all three, they find exactly what they need at the foot of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you're looking for, today whatever is eluding you today whatever it is that you're missing it's there at the feet of the lord jesus christ that's why my message today is called the three bows and in this season the way that we're going to thrive through these next few years of difficulty of demons, demonic attack, of disease, and even, maybe even death on, on different levels, the only way we're going to thrive is to find ourselves at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lineage Church, you got to get on your knees. That's the word of the Lord. In this, in this season, we have to get on our knees before God. We need to cry out to him and find mercy and help in our time of need. You will find what you need to overcome demonic attack, disease, and even death at the feet of Jesus. Let me conclude. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the next verse. So so, uh, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, brothers and sisters, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Paul says, basically, hang in there. Keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. And it's not going to return back to you void. God's going to do something in the midst of this. Can we close our eyes? Invite the worship team to come. Are you encountering demonic attack? So persecution, there's things happening. Listen, it does matter that you're going through it. I don't want you to misunderstand me. But really, the only thing that matters is how you respond. Maybe some of you are sick, going through all kinds of health issues, maybe emotional issues, spiritual issues. What you're looking for is not in that self-help book. What you're looking for is probably not even in your own mind. It's at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to pray for you this morning. And if you're going through something, can I invite you to find some real estate here? You can do it there at your seat or you can come up to the front if you'd like. It's totally up to you. Remember, Jesus, with all his authority, he still needed an invitation. And I just want to invite you to find some space with the Lord today. Just to get on your knees before him and find what you're looking for.